Well, as I was saying earlier, I hope you had a wonderful, fantastic Christmas, and my wife and I and family, we were able to, uh, after our Graceland Christmas together, we, we went up to Chicago, and uh, her brother lives in the northern suburbs of Chicago. We went up there, we drove up there, and we spent four or five days with them, wonderful time together, and I love my three nephews that I have. They have three boys, all under the age of eight years of age. They've got a, a one that's seven, and then the two younger ones. The youngest is a toddler, and she's pregnant with her fourth boy, and we're just so excited about that. And um, it's Christmas night. We got there. We left pretty early here so we could get there. There was no traffic, thankfully. We get there. It's Christmas Day. There's about three or four uh, inches of snow on the ground. It's freezing outside, and it's just perfect. We're around the Christmas tree. I mean, it was this Americana at its very best, right? And so we're there, and we're opening presents, and, and man, I just... This is why I love Christmas. And we're opening presents, and, and then all three of the boys begin to open presents. They take turns. And, and I love my nephews. They're all so unique. And so the first, the oldest boy, he opens his gift, and he just goes, thank you. So, I mean, he's just excited about the present that he gets. And we're just so thankful that he likes his present. And the second boy opens his gifts, and, and he's just like, wow, look what, and he's showing everybody what he got. We're like, yeah, we can't wait for you to, and he's, gonna, he's like, I can't wait to look at it, and he's going to work on it a little bit. And then the third one, the toddler, opens his gift, and he unwraps it. And we're all, I can't wait to see his expression, because he is just He's just something else. I mean, you got to meet this little, this little wonder. He opens the gift up and he goes, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> Man, I just lied. We all laughed. His mom was horrified. I mean, she'd be mad that if I was telling the story right now, okay? But she was horrified. And we just laughed and we laughed. And we, and we just, I just love it because they're all so different. They're all so different. And you know what? That's, that's the same of us. We are all so very different. And you'll know this, right? You, if you've ever led a sports team before, or you have pets, or you have a family, or you've worked in, in any kind of environment, you really lived on this earth, you would know, you could attest to the fact that we are all extremely different. I mean, we, we all like different sports teams. We all dress differently. We like different types of music. Hopefully it's country, okay? But we all like different kinds of music. We like different types of ice cream. We love all kinds. Of, we are different people, but there's something. There's something that can bring us together, that can give us a common identity, no matter who and where we are. See, we place there our identity in all kinds of things. However, make no mistake about it, your primary identity. It, it can be greater than what you drive. Your primary identity can be greater than what you wear, or the songs you sing, or the, or, the, or the money that's in your bank account, or, or, or the job you have, or the relationships that you're going after, or you currently have. Your identity can be staked in so much thing greater, and that is the gospel. That's why I had Carmen sing that song. It's the gospel. And we're going to call this a phrase this morning that maybe we've never shared here this morning, but I want to call it gospel identity. Okay, if you have your listening guide, you can maybe write that down. Gospel identity. And, and this is a phrase Tim Keller shares, and I want to share this with us this morning. Put it up on the screen. Gospel identity means that we are undeniably flawed and unbelievably loved. Gospel identity means that we are undeniably flawed, we're broken, we're imperfect, but we're unbelievably, supernaturally, unconditionally 
fantastically loved. See, when we talk about identity, what we're fundamentally saying is this. How do we know who we are? Who makes us us? What's interesting, though, is is history. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of history for a moment, okay? So if you look back in the life of the world, how we've achieved self and our identity has been very different. Okay, for the last 50, 60 years in the Western society that we live in today, our identity has been based upon what we make it. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to box us in. We want to be our own self-expression. Ray, just be your own Ray Green. But, but it's never been really like that outside of the last 80 years. See, outside of the last 80 years in Western culture, your identity was built and placed upon the, the family you were called up into. And, and, and you're, you're, you're basically like you were born into a blacksmith family. You were a blacksmith. And the only way that you would have success is if you did that job really well. But now in Western culture, you'd say, you know, I want to be my own person. Don't box me in. These aren't the rules. I'm going to do what I want to do. And and let me give you a good example of this. Okay, let me give you a great example of this in the 20th century. And, and, and this, by, this is the greatest show, I think, in the 20th century. And if you're in your 30s, you're going to agree with me. And you're going to know these four letters really, these, these four words really well. Saved by the bell. Can anyone attest to that? Can I get an amen? 30-somethings, right? Saved by the yeah. You got, you got Zach and Jennifer and, and, and A.C. Slater, right? And, and, all, and you got Screech right? and, and, and Principal uh, Belding. Do you remember them? Are you awake? Does anybody remember this? Because I, I remember watching these shows. And, and Principal Belding, this is what his whole MO was, just trying to get Zach and his, and his compadres to, to just get in line. And, and that's what his job was. And Zach all along the way is saying, man, look, don't box me in. Don't tell me how to act. That's not my identity. And, and we see it in Disney movies all the time, don't we? Virtually every Disney movie has the same theme. I mean, you've got Elsa in Frozen, and she sings, let it go. And what is she letting go of? All of the assumptions, all the expectations of what everyone wants her to be. Ray, what's this have to do with anything? What's this have to do with what you're talking about? What does it have to do with Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24? Let me tell you what. Here's why. There's a problem with these, this type of identity. And, and here, let me explain it using more history. Okay, so just, just, just go with me for a second. It's all going to tie together. Trust me on this. 1,200 years ago, you have a soldier, and, and he, wants to, he, wants to, he wants to crush the enemy, people in general. He, he's got this aggression he wants to take out. And, and, and 1,200 years ago in, in Europe, they're saying, yes, that's good. You go, you crush people. That's the role of a soldier. Now, the other side of the coin for the soldier is he, ha- he wants sexual freedom. He wants to sleep with whoever he wants, whenever he wants, anytime he wants. But, but Europe, 1,200 years ago, was like, look, we want you to be aggressive, but we, we want you to have a warrior mentality, but we do not want you to sleep, and you have to actually bind your sexual freedom. And so the warrior says at the time, okay, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be aggressive, but I'm not going to have any sexual freedom. Now, fast forward 1,200 years later, you have the, a soldier today, and he wants to be aggressive. He wants to crush people. He wants to crush the enemy. He wants to be a warrior. Society today would say, for the most part, you need to silence. You need to calm down your aggression, but you can have all the sexual freedom you want. 
So the soldier says, okay, I'm going to kind of, kind of box in the warrior mentality. I'm going to kind of put that into line, but I'm going to be sexually free. See, see, we may say that's our identity, but I would argue the problem with this is this, that you really haven't obtained any kind of identity. You have just chosen who to listen to. You've just changed what cheerleader is cheering for you. Make sense? Okay. Ray, what's the point? Okay, you just gave me a history lesson. What's the point? Okay, here's the point. Gospel identity is something completely different. And it means that you are undeniably flawed, broken to the core, but you are unbelievably loved. And with that being said, that Jesus came on his own to love you in such a way that it would mean that it would change your entire identity. And when he came to love you and change your whole identity, it would revolutionize and transform your life if you choose to bring him and follow him. And when you begin to do that, your life then follows. And it's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion would say like, well, you know what? It's all about the good outweighing the bad. You know, uh, if, if the good outweighs the bad, then Allah will possibly extend you grace. Or if you go on a two-year mission and you do these X, Y, and Z, well, then maybe the good way out bad and, and then maybe possibly... But see, my, my prayer is in 2018 that we would live out a gospel identity as we kick off this new series today. And Jesus was so clear about what gospel identity fleshed out in our lives looks like in chapter 7. So here's where uh, we are in Matthew chapter 7. He has just finished the world's greatest sermon, okay? It's called the Sermon on the mountain. Why is it called Sermon? Because he's on a hill. Okay, he's on a he's on a mountain. You know, it's really cleverly named. He's he gives this message. It's about twenty minutes if you read it from beginning to end, from beginning to end. So he doesn't he wasn't a long preacher. So I got to get going. Okay, and he gives this message, and he starts out in verse twenty four. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now. How many of you have heard those words before? You, you who have grown up in church, raise your hand. How many of you have heard those words? How many of you have heard a song that is written by that scripture? The wise man built his house upon the rock. How many of you? You know the song, right? A lot of you are shaking your heads right now. You want to get out of your head. But, you know, as we've grown up to be adults and, we, and, and we've read that scripture over and over and over again, we have lost and maybe even forgotten the three most important words that he says here. And I'll give them to you. And we'll put them on the screen. And does them. Let that sink in for a minute. Well, Ray, what does that mean? What what does that have to do with anything today? Here's what I mean. Jesus is saying this. You cannot follow him by standing still. That's really good. All right, I'm going to say that again until I get an amen. All right, you cannot follow by standing still. See, there can be an observation, there can be interpretation. Those are good, but there must be application. And he's speaking to a group of people that were so good at standing still. He was speaking to the Jews, and these Jews were very, very religious people. They had this thing called the Tanakh, okay? And the Tanakh was basically built up of several different acronyms. The T stood for the Torah, which was their Bible, the Jewish Bible, okay? And then the N, which is in the middle of the word Tanakh, is the Nevi'im, which was really the prophets and all their writings. And then the K, okay, it stood for the Ketuvin, which it has to do with the writings. And together you put that together, Tanakh, 
And this was their comprehension and their knowledge of God. This was their world. Now, all other people groups had their own knowledge of their little gods. All other people groups had these little teeny gods that they would worship, and, and they believed all kinds of things. There was, you know, basically, they had this understanding of the god of thunder that slept with the, the goddess of wheat, which made the goddess of fire jealous. But then it, the, 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 the story turns a little bit because the, the baby of the goddess of wheat and thunder bursts through her stomach, and we'll just stop right there, okay? It gets a little grosser after that. But I'm not making this up. The Jews had one God, one big God that they followed, and their responsibility was to understand, to know the Tanakh better than anyone else, and they knew it from the very earliest of age. If a man wanted to marry a woman, there was a test on the Tanakh. These were, these were Tanakhers, if you would. And when Jesus is speaking in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7 to these people, he is speaking to the most religious people. They knew. They knew the Ten Commandments, front and back and front and back, but yet they misapplied more than anyone else. They were a lot like us. In 2018, I just want to kind of level with you. This is something that I've been praying for for the life of this church in 2018 more than anything else. That we would, we would hear these words of Christ. See, this book right here is the Bible. I, I, I'm sure for the most part, most of you respect this thing. And you probably don't put your feet up on it. You probably don't let your children put their feet up on it. You probably have a respect for it. But you're missing the entire point if you think that respect is what this is for. This is what it's about. It's about what Jesus said, and does them. And this is what's crazy, okay, in, 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 our, in our culture. What's crazy in our culture is this. We apply information in all other areas of our life completely different than we apply the information of the Bible. I'll give you a good example of that. I'll give you a really good example. Okay, the example is this, potty training. How many of you have been involved one time in your life with potty training? Raise your hand, okay? Trying to forget it, some of you, all right? We just got done potty training our two little daughters. We are done, thankfully, all right? Lord willing, we, we're good, okay? We potty trained our daughters through these incentives and, and, and rewards, okay? And that, that's kind of how we did things. Now, let me just speak into, let me just say this. We did not potty train and teach information so that it would just sit there, did we? No. You teach it so that it can be applied. I'll never forget. It's this, our second daughter, and we're in the kitchen, and we're in the middle of potty training, and she gets real quiet. And then my first thought is, oh, this is good. This is great. This means that she's just playing by herself. My second thought is, there's something going on. You see, she knew where the bathroom was. She knew where the potty was. She could tell you what to do in the potty, but she decided that her pants were more convenient right there in that place. But that, that's a lot like us, isn't it? That we could tell you what to do. We could even show you where it's, it says to do that, but do we apply it? This is the words of Jesus. He says, a, a man is, is, builds his house upon a rock, and he hears my words, and he does them. You know, maybe when you're getting ready for the day, you take something out of your cabinet and there's something in particular that you use. You've bought it, you have it in your cabinet, and it's deodorant. Thankfully, hopefully, you own your own deodorant. If not, I'll get you some, okay? I promise you this week. You take that deodorant and you what? 
You apply it. That's right. Now you may say, okay, look, Ray, look. The Bible is something that I don't know a lot about. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I, I didn't grow up going to church. I, I, I wasn't taught the Bible. I feel like I know very, very, very little. That's okay. This is a great place to be. And I would encourage you to come back week after week to get involved, to learn about the Bible. In fact, I would invite you, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. And I'd love for you to take that Bible home, put your name in it, and bring it back each week and learn from it. There's also phenomenal tools to learn about the Bible. The, there's an app called YouVersion. All right, we'll put it on the screen. YouVersion. It's been downloaded over 40 million times. There's Bible reading plans. There's devotionals in there. There's phenomenal resources. Download it today if you don't own it. I use it all the time. And you know what the best part is? That you can actually have a mode where you can have it read the Scripture back to you and James Earl Jones reads it. Like Darth Vader reads you the Bible. How much better could that be, Right? But not only that, there's, there's iTunes, there's, there's a podcasting, all these incredible preachers that'll, that'll teach you about the Bible and help you understand it for yourself. And then on top of all that, we have given away and we continue to give away this book called Your Next 30 Days. And this is helping all of us over these next 30 days practice the presence of God in our life. In fact, the great thing is, is that I, this, this author is a good friend of mine. And we're actually doing um, this preaching series in tandem. Him and I, we've been working on this together. And so we're joining another church hours and hours away from us going through this journey together. And it's exciting to join another church and see what God is doing in the next 30 days. And if you don't have that book, go outside to our information center. We'd love to give you that book. It'd be our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. Ray, why are you saying all this? Here's the point. The more you make of God through your life, the more He can make of you. The more you make of God through your life, the more He can make of you. And Jesus, He continues to talk about this in verse 25. And follow along with me. He says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and, the, and, and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a foolish man who built his... <clears throat> Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So you read these words of Christ and you get these images. The images are that you have one person and they, they read the blueprint, they read the set list, okay? And they go, okay, I'm going to go to building. They go to Lowe's, they get the materials and they build the specs perfectly. And, and the evidence in the result is you have a life that's transformed. And then you have another particular individual. He sees the specs. He sees the blueprints. He goes to Lowe's and he goes, you know, I'm going to look at the weather. Okay, this is what the weather. I'm going to build according to the, what I think the weather's going to be. I think I'm going to add a room. I think I'm going to adjust it here. I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do that. By the way, I think I can predict some things. I know what's going on. I think I can build all this. And then the storm comes. The storm is greater than they thought. And disaster happens. A great example of this is the media. Right before 2018 hit, they, all these articles began to be published on, on what 2008, it's like the top 10 things that are going to happen in 2018. Has anybody read one of those before? And, and what happens, they begin to predict all these things that are going to begin to happen. Okay. And, and, and already they've had to write stories that they didn't think would happen, like uh, North Korea, 
is actually talking with South Korea. They predicted that Oklahoma and Clemson would be playing the national championship game tomorrow. But it's the University of Georgia and it's Alabama that's playing in the national championship game tomorrow. And I'm an Ohio State Buckeye fan and I'm not bitter at all. We didn't get into the playoffs. But, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take the high road here. Okay. In fact, I didn't plan on doing this. but So, I get in this morning in my office... And somebody's a big University of Georgia fan, and they had this on my door, all right? And I don't, I don't appreciate it. I don't know who put it there, but we have to tighten up security around here a little bit more, because I'll be honest, that didn't, it's not a good way to start your morning. But Okay, so my point is this. My point is this. The reason why the media likes to make predictions is because they want like the illusion of control. And the reason why we like to make predictions and the reason why we like to do our own blueprints and to deviate is because we like the idea of being our own universe. Just like Adam and Eve. They fell in love with the words of Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, when he, they said, and he said to them, you will be like your own God. We love our own kingdom. We love to build these things. We love this idea of foolproof walls, but yet they're anything but foolproof, my friend. You know, you know a really good example of this is in um, the movie Star Wars. How many of you saw The Last Jedi? Okay, pretty good movie, I thought. Um, Luke Skywalker, in the movie, he, he quotes, he begins to talk about uh, the Force, and he defines the force in that movie. And, and, he, and he quotes this. He says, the, the force is an energy field created by all living things. That's what he says. Okay. And, and really, everyone in Star Wars, they want the force. Why? Because they're creating, they're becoming their own universe, their own God. And C.S. Lewis, even though he never watched Star Wars, I, it, it's like he was literally had, had read the words of Star Wars before it had ever come out. He, he writes this observation in his book, Miracles. And I'm going to put this on the screen for you, and I'm going to read this. It's an unbelievable quote that C.S. Lewis says. He says, an impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads, better still. A formless life for surging through us, a vast power which we can tap, best of all, but God himself alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed. The hunter king husband, that's quite another matter. My, my point, all of this is this, that Jesus is the master builder, even though we like to try our hand at it. And I think this is a lot like doing this, that you have a surgeon who is performing a critical surgery for you, and in the middle of the surgery, you say, you know, that's enough. It's time for me to do it. Or it's like you being stuck on the side of the road. You know nothing about a car, and a mechanic just happens to stop. He begins to fix your car, and you say, you know what? Let me try my hand at it. Jesus is saying this, that the less you build your life on you. And the more you build your life on him, the more you will be. Anybody want to be a little bit more this morning? If you want to be a little bit more, then you got to build more of your life on him than yourself. Another way to say it is Jesus is saying, look, the more on me, the more you will be. And my friend, I want to do that. I want to be that. I don't want to be a house that just, it just falls into the ocean. I want to be solid and I want to emulate the examples of Scripture. You have Noah, 
In Genesis chapter 6, it says that he did all that God commanded him. You've got Paul, who would say that I'm the chief of all sinners. You've John the Baptist. He says, I must decrease so that he can increase. What incredible 2018 commands for us. Okay, Ray, what's the point? I get it, but what, what, what what do you want me to do with it? Well, I want you to do two things, two extremes this morning. I want to speak to two different extremes. I've got some here today. You've been a Christian for a long time. You've, you've maybe grown up in this church. You've been coming to this church for a long time. And you've heard thousands of sermons. And you've read even this passage numerous times. And you can come in and you can finish my sentences. And you can look at the listening guide. And you can fill in the blanks. I know some of you try to, okay? Because I, I oftentimes try to do the exact same thing. You try to fill in the blanks. And you try to do all these things. And it's easy for you. It's easy for me to take the Bible and God for granted. You can get caught up in attending church and, and thinking, I just want the gold star of attendance. And yet your life can be completely on horrible sand. You can have all these things in place. You can attend. That's good. That's step one. But my friend, attending does not guarantee your life upon a rock. And I just want to point back to Christ. He has something to say to us about this. In Matthew chapter 22, he's speaking to a group of religious people, okay? These are the professional tanakers, if you will. They would attend church three times a day. Three times a day, every single day. You think that you go to church possibly a lot. These people just, you know, they better than all of us. And, and what they do is they're, they're trying to trap Jesus. And they, and they go to Jesus and they, they ask him about taxes. And that was a big hot button issue because they paid anywhere between 70% and 90% of their income towards taxes. So obviously, they weren't big fans of their government, of Rome. And they had no voice. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. He says this, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? We're going to put this, actually, the coin that they look like on the screen, okay? So he's holding up one of these, right? And this is so weird that Jesus is doing that. And he actually literally says, who's epigrapha, which is Greek for where we get our word epigraphy, which is the study of graven images. He says, whose is this? Literally, Jesus is saying to those people in those days, he's saying, look, whose graven image is this? Now, okay, Ray, why doesn't Jesus have any money? I mean, he, 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 had, to, he had to eat, he had to... Jesus, why, like, why didn't he have any money? Okay, he had money, but Judas, the keeper of the money, he had the money, okay? And, and this was the lowest common denominator of all their money. This was like the penny, okay, if you will, of their day. And of course they had some, some money, but this is Jesus, he, he's baiting them. And here's why. Because the first commandment is, thou shalt not have any graven images. You see what he did? He nailed them. You have the professional tanakers right then and there, and they can't even apply the most small thing. It's easy. It's easy when you've been around a while. It's easy when you've read it all. It's easy when you've attended. And maybe you've never actually said this out loud, but you've thought it in your heart at times. I didn't know about that. 
Oh, I don't need to hear about this. I don't need to be reminded about that. We take it for granted. Think about it with me. You buy lipstick, and what do you do? You apply it. You, you want a loan, what do you do? You apply for the loan. You want to get into college, you fill out the application. Why is this the only area in our lives where we don't do the same? See, for so long, we have fallen into the trap, especially in church world, that knowing, that reading, just obtaining more and more and more and more and more information will equal success. Our churches, our lives, many of us have fallen into this, including myself at times. But I just want to do this with you this morning. I want to redefine success. And redefining success is doing what Christ says. When he says to pray, will we, will we pray, church? Will we get on our knees and we say, God, would you move in my life? Would you move in my heart? Would you move in my marriage? Would you do what only you can do, God? Will we take God for real? Will we take God seriously? Look, I don't want a, a religion. I want a revival. I don't want to just play church. I want to be the church. I don't want to just know. I, I, I want to do what Christ is saying to do. What, what, what if we took our calendars and we made in the biggest part of our calendars? What if we, we, what if we took our marriages for real? Like what if we loved our, 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 our wives like Christ loved the church, men? Like what if we stood up as husbands and we actually loved our wives like Christ loved us? Man, our marriages would be transformed, right? Come on now. Give me some love, man. All right? Like, right? Like, do you agree? Like, what if, what if we did these things? Our life, man, did, but did we settle for this. I don't want that. And I know you don't either. The, the, the second thing I, I want to speak to you today about, the other extreme is, maybe you just say this morning, hey, Ray, I, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. This seems a little radical, and what you're talking about seems a little weird, and I don't know, and I've come here today, and I'm just checking things out, or I, I was brought here by a friend, and I don't know. Here, here's what I want you to know, okay? I know one thing about you because I know this about me, that none of us like to be told what to do. None of us. I've been married for 11 years. I don't like to be told to do the dishes, all right, or to unload the dishwasher, but I will do them, and I will unload the dishwasher. Maybe you don't like being told to take out the trash, right? Amen, men? Okay, like you're like, yep, that's true. That's right. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, you know what? I know how to run my family, Ray. I know how to run my marriage. I'm smart enough. I even run a successful business. But here's the problem. What if you are wrong? What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong like me? Uh, recently, I put together my, my daughter's princess plaything, okay? And it comes, and, it, and I open it up, and it was in a million pieces, all right? And on the box, it said, parts assembly required. 
million pieces out in front of me. I'm thinking, okay, instructions, I don't need those. All right, I'll do this myself because I'm from Ohio. For some reason, I think that I can do that. Everybody else needs instructions but Ray, right? And, and you know, I, I have trouble putting it together. Look, if I mess that thing up, I can always go back to the store and get another one. Right? But man, you can't take your kids back to Walmart. Some of you want to, all right? But you only get the first five years once. You only get the first 10 years once. You only get the first 15, the first 20, the first 30 once. That's it. That's it. You only get the first five years of marriage, 10, 15, 20. That's it. You only get the first time at your work once. You only get the first time going through adolescence once. You only get the first time going through college one time. You can't go back to the store. And isn't it true? Isn't it true, friends? That the greatest regrets we ever have in our life could have been avoided if we would have just done this. And so I want to I speak to your heart right now. If that's you, I just want to ask, what if you're wrong? Would you be information poor and applicational rich this morning? That's my prayer for me. And that is my prayer for all of us as we begin these next 30 days.